friends, welcome back to the Ransom Tar podcast here in mid-February. This is the fourth and final installment that uh, we're going to make here in the Get Your Life Back series. You know that I've got a new book out now and super excited about that. We're hearing such wonderful stories of people using these simple practices to get out of the madness and recover God. And, oh, it's just been so great to hear from people how much this is already helping. And I think this is going to be really significant because the the way we've been introducing the podcast off and on is this is a gnarly time to be a human being. And this kind of world that we live in is a regular assault on your humanity. Uh, God cares very much about our humanity. And maturity is not an option anymore. Wholeheartedness is just not an option. Not if you want to come out of this story alive and well and one of those who have a great story to tell. So this week, as we talk about the practices and some of the gems from the book and from the Pause app as well, Sam Eldridge is in the studio with me which is really fun. Great to have you here, Sam. Thanks. It's great to be here. And which chapter did you pick? I picked the chapter on transitions, though a handful came to mind and I kind of kept like throwing them around. There's something about the transition piece that feels particularly helpful right now for me. And I need it multiple times a day, multiple times a month. So that's why that one came to mind. Yeah, I look forward to this one too, because it doesn't make the normal list of like discipleship practices. And I think even the pause is a little more obvious. Mm -hmm. But chapter six, gang, as we're cherry picking here for you, our listeners, is built around the idea that we need to recover transitions in our lives, transitional moments, transitional spaces not just blast from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, whether that's in a three-hour period or that's phone call to phone call to phone call to phone call, or whether it's over the course of, you know, moving from one major life event to another, like literally moving or big things that happen, you know, kids going back to school, getting married, or losses that we suffer and. In our culture, we've just lost any sense that it's kindness and graciousness to allow yourself some room between one thing and another. Right. I think we feel this in a way that like, we're carrying things into the next thing. A phone call, an interaction, something even a month ago, we're aware of it. We're just not aware that there's any other way. Surely this is what everybody else is doing. It's all I see people doing is just being able to like maintain and move on. I don't know why mercy in that place feels so weird. Yes. Or unavailable. Yeah. And it is available. It's available. Right. Even today, it's been a busy day. Lots of good things going on. But I get out of one really significant meeting in the conference room here and go to my desk and immediately start pounding out as much email as I can get done before the next significant lunch meeting is going to happen. That doesn't sound like you at all, just trying to uh, achieve some things, knock some things down. That's really out of character. (laughs) Just the idea of you can actually stop. Mm -hmm. And even the one-minute pause, there's many ways to use the pause, but the pause itself is a transitional practice between this phone call and that meeting, between finishing my workday and walking in the door 
in the evening, well, you can just use the one-minute pause or the pause app. It's available on the App Store. It's called the One Minute Pause by Ransomed Heart. It's free. There's a three-minute, five-minute, and a ten in addition to the one. And funny story with that. So I was trying to make a big decision this weekend. Should I say yes to a major commitment? It's going to break into some family time. Wasn't sure that I should commit to this out-of-town thing. And I texted a friend about it, and he said, hey, why don't you use the 10-minute pause? (laughs) Here's your medicine. (laughs) And my initial reaction was, that's really dumb, because I wrote it and I recorded it. But I did it. And it was exactly the transitional space I need. I was trying to cram in a really important decision into a really unkind time period. So instead, put on the 10-minute pause. And for those of you who aren't familiar with it, in the pause app, there's these different ways that we practice letting it go, releasing people, settling into Jesus, and just receiving him again, just recentering our life. And then at the five-minute point, in the 10-minute pause, it gives you a choice. You can choose guidance, you can choose inner healing, or you can choose worship. Then it takes you down kind of a choose-your-own-adventure thing, and you know you pick the guidance one, and then it's five more minutes of sort of reflected, kind, spacious listening. And I did, and it was super helpful, but more so my soul is like, thank you. Right. Thank, we, you, thank <laughs> you for not cramming that in. <laughs> right. I, I literally used the five-minute last night. We were on our way to have a conversation with some folks that we love in our community, but it felt like high stakes. It felt like we needed to be on. And it was weird. It felt like inconvenient to slow down. I felt like we should use this time to pray, but even prayer was like, get those gears spinning, get it in performance mode, say the right things, get aligned. And it was like, okay, wait, maybe we should do a pause. And it was like, let's do a one. Okay, that feels a little cheap. Let's do a three. It's like, well... That doesn't feel right. Let's do a five. It was like, that's so inconvenient. And that's where, for me, like a little flag went up. And it was like, we crossed the line into, that feels slightly too inconvenient. There might be something there for us. And that could have been the point of the whole night. Like we sat out front, finished it. And it was like, so many good things came up just in that, that we could have turned around and driven home and been like, oh, that was successful. And we felt able then to operate so much better. Yeah. It's a transitional space. There's a kindness to it. And just to set the story, so you're going to a really important meeting in your church community, which had some tension around it. Well, what were you doing right before that? Like, what were you leaving as you jumped in the car? Uh, Total utter chaos in my house with a a one-and-a-half-year-old and a soon-to-be three-year-old. Actually, we were listening to the Spotify Grammy playlist and dancing in the kitchen. Okay. The Beyonce spirit song came on, and it was like just joy to be dancing in complete chaos. Okay. So then you're trying to get the kids taken care of, child care. Very quickly, right? It's an easy thing here to get go. them in their jammies, get them in for bed, here get the go. babysitter, and then pop, 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 Here we go. Here we go. Out the door. It's not describing my life in general at all. Let's get to the important meeting uh-huh. with no transitional space. Right. Which just feels like then I'm going to be operating constantly out of what's left over. Yeah. What do I have left in the tank? And I'll just scoop that out. And then when I get back home, if the kids are awake, I give them whatever's left over from that. There's no replenishing. Yeah. It's just kind of constant take until eventually I blow up and become an axe murderer. Yeah. So what do you want to read? The first piece that jumped out to me from this chapter is this one from the memorial service that we attended. I'll just read it for you. 
Stacy and I attended the memorial service of a family friend this fall, a beautiful young man whose life was cut short in his 20s. Those are such awful, poignant occasions filled with so many conflicting emotions. The hugs, the whispered conversations, the tears with many people who themselves reeling in various ways. His service was beautiful and breathtaking. Our family needed to be together afterward. You can't just go home after something like this. So we had planned on a lunch. But I simply could not make that transition quickly. While most of the congregation filed quietly out of the church, I sat in my chair looking out the window, allowing my tears to continue, not requiring myself to bounce back. Hmm. And why did you pick that? There's a spaciousness to grief and trauma that I don't think we often are comfortable with, comfortable with giving ourselves. And I felt my heart go (gasps) to that piece again as I came to it of just, really? That's okay? That sounds so needed and also vulnerable and for a variety of reasons, maybe we don't want to sit in those moments. I want to move on to the next one. I don't like being there. And I think we're kidding ourselves. Like, I know I'm kidding myself when I move quickly through them as though if I don't stay there long, I'll somehow be better. Like, I'm going to get up and walk out to the foyer and have less grief. And so there's kindness in this piece to be like, you are a certain way. You are doing a certain way. And that is valid. And that requires something that is also available. And it's like, if you could just take that and bottle it, I'd drink it every day. Like, what you were feeling is valid and what you need is available. I'm like, oh my goodness, please. You know, in that moment, it didn't take an hour. It didn't even take a half an hour. It took 15 minutes, so it wasn't quick either. But just to sit and look out the window and let the tears come. And, you know, one of the things we don't like about grief is it opens the door to the place in our soul where we keep all our grief. Mm. And sometimes that can feel wrong or confusing or uh uh-oh. Oh, the uh uh-oh is I'm going to fall in and never get back out. Yeah, that. But actually, it's not true. And the more that you allow yourself the space to grieve, the less likely that is to happen. It's just the opposite, Mm. right? It's the ignored griefs that come up one day and swallow you. You know, and suddenly you're you're drinking too much or eating too much or, you know, you're online looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at or whatever because your soul is aching. And it's the neglect of grief. It has nothing to do with an eating disorder beneath that. For me, at least, my addictions are fueled by other things. Mm -hmm. And so just to sit, allow myself some transition was just huge that day. Just a little bit of kindness, right? This before I move from this significant thing to the next really wonderful thing that I want to go to. I want to go. Yeah, death particularly feels like the like the extreme example. But I, I found myself filing in all of the other lesser griefs under that and that same posture of it's okay, you can stay in it, you can tend to it, and it's not going to be too much. I think about the grief of disappointment of having certain expectations for things. We celebrated our seven-year anniversary this year, Susie and I, Ooh. and it was it, it got lost. It was like a woohoo, but oh. also it, it was there was busyness. There was there was other things happening that day, so we kicked the 
the plan further down the field. And when we finally were able to celebrate it, it was mixed. It, it actually wasn't the evening that we had thought it was going to be. And so Susie had some tears afterwards. And there's that grief of, I longed for something that didn't happen. It might still happen. It feels so, like small sticks, death on one end, disappointment way down at the bottom. But there was like a, a need for us to go, okay, wait, wait, wait. Like, I don't want to blow past even that. The grief of longing for an evening where we get to reflect on our marriage and talk about the last year and what we're hoping for. Like, that's actually a really beautiful thing when those moments happen. But it can feel really stupid in the moment when you feel disappointed by just an evening, just a dinner, just, and you're like, that was actually fine. There was nothing wrong about it. And learning this, learning that piece of like, don't blow past it, be able to sit in it. Don't just try and solve it, which is what I would love to do. You're like, oh, don't worry, babe. We'll reschedule something else where we can do that. Be able to go like, where are you in this moment? And let's stay in there and let's flesh out why. Yes. Because that actually might prove to be kinder down the road. As you're describing this, here's what I'm feeling. Like I am forcing my soul through multiple gear changes all the time. I'm treating my soul like a car. Just, just, And how's your, how's your clutch doing? Yeah, my clutch is burnt because we just, you know, we go from something that's, you know, maybe frustrating to then something that's wonderful to then something that's boring to something that's super exasperating. And then, you know, listen to the news and then we got to talk to our insurance agent on the phone and then we rush into the house to dinner, but we're not really fully there. And I hate doing that to my soul. I'm forcing my soul to to almost operate like a car, just go through multiple gear changes every day without any kind of grace to it. So what we're describing, gang, is we're, we're unpacking this idea that there is a gift in transition, allowing transitions into your life. And it might be as simple as a one minute pause Pausing between phone calls, like before you go from one phone call to the next, one email to the next, one customer to the next, one child to the next, whatever your situation, whatever your career, allowing a simple pause can be transition. But we also use it in other ways. We learned long ago through very bad practice, do not book your vacation to end at 9 p.m. when you are collecting your bags from the carousel of the Sunday night before you have to go back to work on Monday. But I got to suck the marrow from this thing, man. You're ruining my vacation. (laughs) Transition. I'm going to get home and I'm going to start grocery shopping. I got to get the house up and running again. Exactly. Transition smashes. Exactly. But here's the thing that's super unkind, and you will actually lose the grace and the gift of your holiday because the holiday is designed for joy and beauty and rest or it might just be a staycation, but still it's peacefulness versus go, go, go. And it's non-work versus work. It's Sabbath. And so that's going to restore your soul in some way and you're going to get back. And if you force yourself to go with no transition straight into the chaos of your life, you will actually lose... (laughs) that wonderful state of being that you spent your vacation to get yourself in. Yeah, I'm so aware. Like, the cost is going to get applied somewhere. And it might be retroactively. It might be all of the fruit of that vacation. That's where the cost is going to go down if you don't 
use it somewhere else. Yeah. You don't have that space. And being a parent of two little kids, it feels like my life can sometimes be this like juggling act, circus act. It, there's just a lot of things in motion. There's a lot of chaos. It's great. Like it's beautiful. And in kindness, parents of older children will often tell us like, don't worry you guys, like it gets easier to which I sort of like scratch my head and be like, you know, a 16 year old doesn't seem uncomplicated, <laughs> you guys. The problems just seem, it just seems to get like bigger and more complicated. And therefore the chaos and demand I'm experiencing now is easy. Like, yeah. oh my gosh. And so for Susie and I, that vacation piece or that week piece, it feels totally foolish and totally wrong to take a day on our calendar and be like, nothing is allowed in there. And you're like, okay, what, well, what inevitably happens when you have nothing in our calendars, then we try to do tasks. Then it's like, well, we have space, so we should really go grocery shopping or use this evening to budget or and it's like, it's insidious. It just happens. But when we are able to truly protect those spaces, again, to that cost piece, like we actually do better the next day and going forward. And the next day actually feels less chaotic, though we may not have done anything with that evening. There's this, oh, like there's just so much more in the tank. We're able to be more mm-hmm. present mm-hmm. to children who are constantly present and constantly going. And mm-hmm. oh my gosh, that. So Christmas. Mm. Travel. Yeah. Well, actually, in many ways, we become pretty good at this because we've done it quite a bit. Um, we've got, we're racking up the frequent flyer miles for the one year old. <laughs> when he graduates <laughs> from high school, I'm going to be like, and here's your trip around the world. You're welcome. And I'm sorry. Yeah. As efficient as we try to make it, they're just like all these little harassments that go on and go down, even if it goes perfectly, even if travel to the in laws is like a home run which I'm still waiting on. And we're getting closer. Like eventually that moment's going to happen. But we get there and our stroller's broken. And we go through this Airbnb juggling act of we're here, but we're there, but we're going to try and be present, but we're going to try and fight for our own space, which sort of ends up being neither and all sorts of exhaustion. And then inevitably there's some disappointment, fatigue for everybody because whether it was a longing for more, more time, a conversation that didn't happen, if it's just a longing to be in our own space and sleep through the night, like we get back and the airline has covered our stroller in some viscous, vinegary smelling goo, which they're conveniently like not liable for because why would they be? So we have to like drag the stroller through the airport, carrying the kids away from it and like burn it in the parking lot because it's so (laughs) disgusting. By the time we get home, like that cost had been applied. That vacation mm-hmm. was like, oh, what? What was, what just happened? Right. That was Christmas. That was like the off time. But we did have some margin afterwards because this piece of like it's one of the things I highlighted, especially after is the the two words that you put for when you're planning a trip, try to create space, especially after. And so for us that was permission to not need to have everything running on all cylinders quickly. That was permission for, it's probably going to take our family as many days as we were gone back in our rhythm to get back up to speed. Yes. So it was a week away. I'm giving us a week before my expectation is to be performing 
what our new optimal is. Our new optimal doesn't look like my old optimal. Yeah. So there's some tweaking there. But that that spaciousness, yes, things have to happen. Yes, I have to go out and find a new stroller. But there's like permission for that now, which there yeah. wasn't before. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. I want to give credit where credit's due. I'm pretty sure it was Archibald Hart, uh, the psychologist. And I'm pretty sure it was his book, Adrenaline and Stress, <laughs> which was a really significant book that came out in the 80s. But I think it was Arch who pointed out in the Gospels, we read the Gospels with a modern mindset. You know, there's a sentence that says, so Jesus left Jerusalem and went back up to Galilee. We think, yeah, boom, you know, he got in his car and 10 minutes later they were there. And then the next story goes on. And up there, they encountered a crowd and da-da-da, and he did this and, you know, healed that and taught this. And we think the gospel stories all happen in kind of a nonstop stream. But to go from Jerusalem to Galilee on foot is a two-day journey. Two days of just walking, talking, hanging out, stop for lunch by a well, kick back in the evening by the campfire. I mean, there's so much transitional time actually in the gospel stories because they weren't, you know, taking the metro to get from one place to another or an airplane. And so we think that Jesus is living this high octane, boom, 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 kick out a demon, preach the Sermon on the Mount, heal the leper. Okay, now talk to the woman at the well. Now go, 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 go. And it's not. It's not. Quite often you'll hear the phrase, and Jesus went off to lonely places to pray. Like, he will deliberately extract himself from the chaos when there isn't another way to get transition. Even the night, the famous walking on water storm thing, he had fed the 5,000. He had sent the boys away. He was actually going back up onto the mountain to get some personal time, and that was the reason why he was catching up with them by walking on the water. I just think it's such a funny story. It's the middle of the night because he was allowing for personal transition. He didn't just go from, okay, heal these folks, teach these folks, get in the boat, let's go, new city. Though in this case, he's kind of taking a shortcut, right? Like, Well, the walking on the water That feels part. a little cheap. Yeah, but I'm really looking forward to it <laughs> totally. in the new earth. But it was because there's so much transition actually built into the Gospels. And it was during those down times that you get the conversations where the disciples are asking him questions, and they can process things, and they go, wait, okay, can we go back to that sower and the seed story? Because we didn't get it. What's that? And later, when they were in the house, Jesus offered the interpretation. It's often in there, too. So you have these transitional spaces, room for a conversation, room to take a walk, room to get by yourself that is built into the structure of the Gospels. Hmm. And we can learn from that. We can say, you know, this is the Son of God on the most important mission in the world, and he's still allowing for the grace of transition. Right. It feels like when was the last time you walked anywhere that wasn't just a walk (laughs) for its own sake? Like these days, the message is those spaces don't exist anymore, and we have to Hmm. fabricate all of them. But I'm keenly aware of the times I jump in the car and just crank the radio like I'm on autopilot and fill that space unnecessarily, a space that could be transition. That drive could be that space. Yes. But it feels quick. It feels like a time I can fit something in. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I remember watching JD 
he sent some picture at the end of some work day where he'd gotten home and he'd built like the family tent in the backyard because the kids wanted to erect the family tent and play in it. And I was newly married at the time, didn't have any kids yet. And I, I'm sitting on the couch with a beer, scratching my head going, how, how do you have the energy to do that? I am like newly married wife's at work. I had the house to myself. I'm on the couch with a beer and I feel tanked. <laughs> I felt like that was everything I could offer. And I'm looking at this going like, oh, I want to be able to do that. And I found myself reaching out to him saying like, that is going to be my life someday. Help me. Yeah. And he responded back. He's like, oh, every time I get home, I sit in the driveway for a couple of minutes and I let that be this transition space for me where I pray like, this is the space where I want to be most present mm. with my family. Mm. And so I ask for mm. the grace to be fully present and to have all the energy to say yes to the things mm. that would be really easy to say no to. It's like, no, I don't have time for that. Like I gotta, I'm exhausted. I want to sit in the couch like mm. Sam is doing, but I actually don't. It seems like I want that, but mm. what I want mm. is to be present to the kids and to be able to do that. And man, watching that story a thousand times a day when I'm with my kids, I'm going every moment... <laughs> feels like the transition is just boom, 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 boom. Looking at the gospel, being like, boom, boom, this high thing, that high stake, someone's texting, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, somehow this isn't true. Like somehow there actually are spaces already that if I could see them and help create them. Yes, and even plan for them. Right. The best thing is if ahead of time, you anticipate the chaos and you go, I know this project looks like it's only going to take me two hours, but I'm going to plan on four mm. because something's going to go wrong. I need to run to the hardware store. I'm just going to be gracious here and not try and fit this into the minimal two possible hours. window. My projects always <laughs> take about three minutes before I totally break the thing I was trying to work on. Yeah. You used a word earlier that triggered me. You used the word efficiency. Mm -hmm. I think that's the enemy. I think that's what's driving us is that we have bought completely hook, line, and sinker, we have taken the idea that efficiency is always the operating goal. Always, always the operating value. Come on, right? Efficiency, fit it in. Our whole world is built around that, right? You don't even need to grocery shop anymore. You can do it on your phone and they'll deliver it to your house or you can pull up and they'll drop it in your car and all that, right? Oh, there's shortcuts on your phone now. It's like your phone can be triggered to pull up a map or a song or text somebody when you get in the car. Like efficiency is just, my life can be automated. Yes, oh. efficiency. But that's what's robbed us of all transition because transition doesn't feel efficient. It doesn't feel efficient to get home on Saturday from your vacation or your time off and leave Sunday open so that you've got some room before you jump into Monday. It doesn't feel efficient to hang up your phone and just do nothing for a couple minutes before you make the next phone call. Yeah, that's so good. I got another piece I can read here. Please. You mentioned earlier that gear change metaphor. You wrote about it, and it's one of the pieces that jumped out to me. The paragraph goes like this. We are forcing our souls through multiple gear changes each day, each hour. And after years of this, we wonder why we aren't even sure what to say when a friend genuinely inquires, how are you? We don't really know. We aren't sure what we feel anymore. We live at one speed. Go. All the subtleties of human experience have been forced into one state of being. 
And this one totally oh, jumped out to gosh. me. Not just because of the gear changing feeling true, the go feeling true, but because of that, like I experienced the reaction to the question, how are you all the time? Going to a Sunday, Sunday morning, walking around the room. Hey, how are you? Well, everybody looks like they got hit by a truck and don't have words for why. Sometimes myself included is that piece of, I want to work backwards from that into the why, but I think most people in that moment, you're like, how are you doing? I, I'm good. And you're like, you're good. You look like you could pass yeah. out. Like, yeah. what do you, is this your baseline? I don't know. That's a really genuine answer. It's <laughs> probably the most honest answer that people wouldn't be willing to say because it feels like, well, it's a very authentic time to be alive. Yeah. And so therefore what I'm going to say is, oh, it's been a really tough week. And you're like, was this the kindest thing for you to do today mm. then? Mm. No, no accusation on you, but going through the motions may not have been mm. the right motion. Gang, there's so much more we wish we could say. This is a taste from chapter six on allowing for transitions. And this is one of the nuggets, one of the treasures from the book, Get Your Life Back. And I really hope you will. I hope you'll go get it and get it for five of your friends because this is a brutal time to be a human being. And really, humanity is, is just under constant terrible assault in very obvious ways. You know, the text that we got today that a dear colleague's mother had fallen to the subtle stuff that's just the inundation of media and news and technology and go, go, go. And you need grace. You need mercy. Transitions is one. And there's lots more that we've been talking about in this four-part series. So if you're just tuning in, go back and listen to the other episodes because it'll give you a fuller picture and some practices to get your life back, to get your soul back, to be kind to yourself. So we're going to wrap up the series with this. want to let you know a couple things. There's a curriculum that goes with this. I shot six videos. So you could do like a six-week study with your friends and go through the book together and talk about the practices and talk about your lives and take a little bit of real estate back for your sanity. So there's that. There's an audiobook. I know most people actually prefer audiobooks these days because we don't have space to read, but at least you can get it in. And I think you really enjoy it. And we've been referring a ton to the One Minute Pause app. That one's free, and that's just on the App Store. If you haven't downloaded that, give that a try. You're going you're gonna to love it. I think you can hear my excitement and also my compassion for you. I'm really excited about this book, and I think it's going to heal a lot of souls. So thanks for listening in.